Good morning, church. It's great to see the, the microphone's working. Last time I got up here to do this, I really struggled with that, but Bruce has helped me out this morning immensely. Um, Galatians, we've been listening to different members of our congregation come up and speak about this, and it's been going on for a while. Um, and I'm going to touch on a passage, um, which is one that you may have heard many, many times, um, and it's all about the fruit of the Spirit. And in preparation for this, um, I thought a lot about Paul the Apostle, and we've been reminded of him many, many times. Um, here's this guy that's writing this letter to this group of churches somewhere in this province called Galatea, and he's got a message. He's got something that he wants them to hear, and we've heard it over and over again. And he's a clever guy. In fact, uh, back in those times, um, talking was immensely important. I mean, he wasn't going to send an email that was going to get read. He wasn't going to send a, a video that was going to get seen. He sent a letter. But the trouble was that many of the people that he sent that letter to wouldn't be able to read. So what he was expecting, I guess, was that it was going to be read to people. And this huge word that I can't say properly, rhetorician, you know, someone who speaks out, someone who talks, has a whole lot of tricks up their sleeves. And they use things, apparently, in that Greek and Roman world, like ethos. We rely on the character of the person. And Paul, right at the beginning, remember he spoke about the authority he had to say these things? And then they use logic and reasoning, or logos. You know, there actually is something true here that can be shown from point to point to point. And then the other part of it is pathos. There's emotion. There's hyperbole. And we've had some pretty strong hyperbole because he's talked about all sorts of things happening to men that we probably don't really even want to imagine. He's got a message. So I've got a message for you today. And I'm really excited about it because it points back to some really important things. And I think I am fortunate that I'm right at the point of the listening where Paul has got to this crescendo. He's got something to say and he's reached that point. He wanted you to listen and hear it over and over again. But right now he's come to a great place. Now that's really good for me, but one of the things that's meant is that I've really struggled to work out which bit of it I want to cling on to. So I want to make a little bit of an apology now and say that probably there's about a thousand ways that we could approach this. And I really encourage you to go back and listen and read about some of the ideas that are in this passage. But I also want you to feel the emotion, the logic, and the character of Christ that comes through this particular passage. And I really pray that there's something in it for you. Um, now, I've tried to make it short. What I've done is I've gone through and removed all the humour. <laughs> and you'll see that. My wife said they wouldn't miss it at all. <laughs> and as you can tell, she was quite right. So, no humour. Straight to the facts. Here's the actual uh, passage. Galatians 5, 22 to 26. But, I was always taught at school that you never start with but. But anyway, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, 
let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Really famous passage, and central to this passage is these nine fruit. Notice it's one word, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, which gives us a bit of a clue about this thing. This is not little things that are somehow here or there. These are things that come together, the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit all through the Bible is there many, many times. If you went to the Old Testament, you find 119 passages where the word fruit is used. Right there at the beginning of Genesis, there's fruit that comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And fruit will be there all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament where that Greek word for fruit is used 66 times. What are those fruit? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Interesting that word love comes right at the beginning because I think you could argue that all of those things could be taken under the umbrella of love. And I'm going to get very excited about that idea of love today because that love is going to be central to, um, to the message that I think Christ and the Holy Spirit has, has, has put on my, um, my heart. But the other things we could spend several sermons looking at. You know, is there enough joy in this world? Is there enough peace? Of course there isn't. But they're wonderful things, and they're things that can come through our church. That word forbearance, sometimes we see it as patience. But in the Greek, it's actually this word that means long-tempered. So you've heard the, the term short-tempered? Long-tempered, you know? In other words, instead of being quick to be provoked, we're able... To just wait, it takes a long time before we are reduced to anger. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm a researcher um, in my daily job, so I like to research stuff before I bring it to, um, to you guys. So one of the first places I go to is Amazon.com, where they sell a lot of books. And um, I found this one. Fruit of the Spirit, large print, Bible verse, word search for women. <laughs> so we could check it out, we could spend time doing it, but I think we'd probably miss the point. Um, or this one, we could do this one, cutie fruities and the fruits of the Spirit. Um, again, I think probably not what you came here for. Um, maybe this is more up the alley that you were looking for. Fruits of the Spirit, episode one, an Amish Christian romance soap opera. Kindle edition. It had 119 ratings and it has nearly four and a half. Um, and the price looks pretty reasonable as well. Zero dollars. But I thought this is kind of interesting too. You know, um, some people argue that the fruits of the Spirit is sometimes kind of positioned as something that's for the children or overly feminine or something. Not something that's for us and for our character. But I want to say today, this is for everybody. And one of the points is going to be about how important it is for all of us to take notice. So let's move in there. I've got some points that I want to make, and I want to rush through these quite quickly so that I can concentrate at the end on some pretty important ideas that I think come out of this. But first of all, point one. The fruit of the Spirit contrasts with the acts of the flesh. And... 
You can't have a but without something before it. And the but that came before it was a pretty horrible list of behaviours, I guess you'd call them. Things that Paul argues are completely abhorrent, completely against the idea of God. And we can't just have a world that focuses only on the fruits of the Spirit without realising it, that it's in contrast to something else. And so Derek had this in his, in his passage last week. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Their sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Last time I spoke to you was about the Ten Commandments, and it's so easy, I think, to somehow sidle past Exodus and walk into the New Testament and perhaps ignore some of the things that are said there. But I had this quote back then, which I was really reminded of, and it was from C.S. Lewis. And it's saying this, even though Paul has been talking about fulfilling the law and moving away from the law, he says, God may be more than moral goodness, the kind of thing the law was talking about. He is not less. The road to the promised land runs past Sinai. The moral law may exist to be transcended, but there is no transcending it for those who have not first admitted its claims upon them and then tried with all their might to make that claim and fairly and squarely face the fact of the failure. Those things are called sometimes the acts of the flesh or the works of the flesh. And Paul, in the passage we've read, is been pretty keen for us to realize that they're part of our lower nature. And as human beings, we can't just walk away from them. There's a battle going on, and it means day by day we have to crucify the flesh, which sounds pretty horrible. And it is horrible. C.S. Lewis is reminding us here that we can't ignore the fact that God is a holy God, and that there are things that God beliefs are not right, that are abhorrent to God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The fruit of the Spirit also do this. They point to the radical truth that's at the heart of the gospel. And today I'm going to bring that all together in this umbrella of God is love. God is love. If you walk back into the Gospels, what do you see? You see love. You see love in so many different ways. You see love given to a Samaritan woman. You see love on the cross. You see a man that walks through that part of the Middle East talking about a love that's for the weakest, a love that takes notice of those that are downtrodden. You get verses in the Bible like this, For God so loved the world, this God, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
hear this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. The definition of God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Or in Matthew, the words of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What about this one? Again, the words of Jesus. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's radical. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You love those who love you. If you do that, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? At the center of the gospel is this person that turns the world upside down and brings this idea of love to bear. God is love. And we're asked to love, not just those who love us, but those who we find unlovable. The fruit of the Spirit are not spiritual gifts. I think this one's a really important one. We learn a lot about spiritual gifts, gifts that God can give us as individuals that we can use to help our body of Christ be stronger. But this is not about that. These are not spiritual gifts. They should be manifested in the lives of all Christians. This, according to Paul, is something that is for all of you. If you receive Christ, then Christ, through the Holy Spirit, brings these fruits into fruition. You can't just ask for a little bit of patience. Well, you can. But that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's patience. It's not just gentleness. It's not just forbearance. It's fruit that exhibits this unbelievable spectrum of love. I think another thing that's really important is the fruit of the Spirit is a marker. It's, a, it's almost like a measuring tool. It helps us to discern when God is at work. And I think this is a pretty radical idea because I find it very difficult to believe that when God is present, when His Spirit is working, that the fruit of the Spirit is absent. And I think we can see that many times in the Bible. Jesus Himself says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And then what does He say next? By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and it's thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The message puts it a different way. It uses kind of a language that probably resonates with many people today. It says, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are, 
they are out to rip you off some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preaches art is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burnt. So these fruit are a marker of the Spirit. And Jesus is saying here, you can't sort of have it both ways. If you're in the Spirit, if you're working in the Spirit, then the fruit should be there. It should be something that's being cultivated and something that's present. And I think as Christians, we tend to forget that, you know? Maybe the fruit is just something that we'd like to see or that can happen, but sometimes it's not convenient. And in our world today, it's sometimes not being valued anywhere near where it should be. So I'm going to put a, a face on the screen and I am not going to talk about the politics of this person, but you'll recognize him. This is, of course, Donald Trump who's walked over from the White House with a Bible in his hand. And he's making a statement. He's making a statement to the world. But where's the fruit? That's the first question I think we have to ask. This is not necessarily about Donald and trying to make a judgment about whether he's a Christian or not. But as a Christian myself, the first thing I have to look at is say, if he's telling me something, where's the fruit? Is it present? And what's the symbol that he's holding up there? It's the Bible. And one of the issues we have at the moment around the world is people who are having to use the idea of the Bible as a symbol, the ideas that come from Christianity as a movement, and align their politics with it. I think there's real problems here. In 2016, when the election was um, being run, you might remember that Donald Trump made some pretty strong statements about being able to molest women at will. His um, ex-campaign manager, uh, Corey Lewandowski, said this. I think what this comes down to, and this is not a surprise, is clearly this is not how women should be spoken about. But we're not choosing a Sunday school teacher here. And I want to be very clear about that. We're not choosing a Sunday school teacher. Is it all right to ignore the fruits of the Spirit? When we're choosing a leader, it's an interesting question. If you want more evidence, Trump made about six false or misleading claims a day in his first year as president, 16 a day in his second year, 22 a day in his third year, and 39 a day in his final year. Something that doesn't add up for me there. Um, and this is a very carefully researched piece of information. Each one of those misquotes has been put into a database. I think this is one of the most interesting ones. I always say that with the possible exception, 
I like to keep the word possible in. With the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln, I have done more for the black community than any other president. It's kind of interesting. And I think it's a complete sort of absentism of, of the fruits. Another thing, though, about the fruits of the Spirit, they do these things, they contrast with the acts of the flesh, they point to the radical truth at the heart of the gospel, God is love. They're not spiritual gifts. They help us to discern God acting in the world, but they do involve us. They're not something that just happens to us. They are proof of the Holy Spirit bringing our lives closer to the image of God. And you can tell that because if you look through the passage that Derek read last week and that we're talking about today, you get these really agentic words. You see, Paul is exhorting us to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and to keep in step with the Spirit. And we can't do those things just by sitting and waiting. I've been a Christian for a long time, well over 40 years, and I can remember when I put my hand up in Sunday school and I said, I want to follow Jesus. I heard something that rang true. And at that moment, I believe God came into my life, the Spirit came into my life, and I was saved. But I also believe that I've got a life to live. And every day, I have a duty to continue that work of salvation. I've got to do these things. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. And we need to spend some time working out how to do that. And it's so great to hear the elders talking about bringing the rhythms back into our lives, because this is so much about being in rhythm. You know, it's about reading the Bible. One of the things that happens to me when I do these sermons is I have to get back and read the Bible. And it's so meaningful, especially if you read it in a curious way, in a way that looks for the meaning that God has for you today and an understanding of the meaning that God gave it when he gave it to the people in the times and places that they were at. Prayer. When COVID came, we met together and we prayed. I felt encouraged and strengthened hearing each of your prayers. Meet, fellowship with others. I think this one is so important. Did you come to church today to worship God because it's a habit to fellowship with others? I'm not sure why you did, but I'm so glad that you're here because another person you did it for was for me. I love seeing your faces. I love hearing your voices. And when I do, I feel, and I know that I'm in the presence of the Spirit. When we sing to God, we sing to worship Him, but we're part of a big body, and we need it. We need to come to church. We need to be here. We need to meet with others. Might not be in church. We need to have relationships with other people where we're challenged to live more godly lives. 
I'll put this other word down there. We also need to repent. I need to repent because many of those things are nowhere near the rhythm of what my life is. But sometimes too, in that day-to-day thing, walking by the Spirit, we're holding on to something. That's when we walk back to those acts of the flesh. You know, we haven't crucified them completely and they come back. And I'm very sure that if I asked us today, every one of us would be able to know of one thing that they find difficult to tell to somebody else. They become addictions. And God wants us to crucify those things. Might be something you have to work on for quite a while. But when we carry them along, we have this internal fight with the Spirit who wants to walk into our lives and help us to bear this fruit. There's not room. Because this thing has been carefully, carefully concreted around or over. I'm going to change tack slightly here. I'm going to move on a little bit from the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to call the fruits of the Spirit love. Love in all of those guises that we saw before. Love that comes from the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's central to the Bible. You know, I believe it's coming back to love that will excite people the most about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ points to a way of thinking that's so radical, that's so different. This little clip I'm going to show you um, inspired me. It's a true story about a um, little high school in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, where they had integration issues. Black people kept away from schools where white people were. And in the 70s, they were just starting to do that. And this high school was affected by this truth about Christ, that God is love. Let's, let's watch it. I wanted to come here today because uh, five of my players are here. Five of my players that have been mistreated time and again by their school and by their teammates. And I have not done enough to stop. At the beginning of this season, uh, my team, almost my entire team, they gave themselves to love. love that I didn't understand. A love that began to conquer hatred. And after the game on Friday, I went home and I prayed. Not that I really know how to do that. But I told God that I don't know if you're real. 
I want. I want whatever my players have. came here today because I believe I believe and I want to be baptized did you get that? Feeling in your heart that that man is talking about something that matters, that something that the world needs, that he's peered into the into the heart, into the core of what it means to find Christ. And I might have been six years old when I saw that for the first time, but I can't live as a six-year-old. I've got to live now, today, every day. And I do that through the Spirit. And I do that through this thing called love. And it's not just any love. It's not love that we might sing about in some poppy tune. It's this agape love. It's concerned with the greatest good of the other. It's a choice. It's not just an emotion, a feeling, a sense of familiarity or, or an attraction, it, it can involve those things, but it's not just those things. It requires action, faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice, and it expects nothing in return. Most importantly of all, it's a love that comes from God. It's a spirit-breathed love, and it sets the standard. Paul and Corinthians and some really interested in the importance of this love. I mean, if he did it today, he might put it like this. Here's a guy called Mr. Christian. Mr. Christian is able to speak in tongues. He has the gift of prophecy. He has faith, enough faith to move mountains, and he's absolutely famous for his generosity. Who would like to be Mr. Christian? Sounds pretty good. Paul turns it upside down, and you have this wonderful, wonderful passage. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We are called into this world to love, to exhibit that fruit by being in the Spirit. And it's so important. It's so important that when you walk out of this place today, you're going to have many, many opportunities to be fruitful. You are powerful, powerful people. Here's something that I read recently in a book called A More Loving World. It said, to be a loving person is to wrestle with a profoundly improbable idea. 
that however modest our position in society might be, however much we may have been maltreated in the past, however mesmerized we are by the deplorable behavior of powerful individuals, however shy and frail we are, we are constantly capable of causing other people significant hurt. That can't be me. I'm nothing. I've been hurt. I'm the one who's been hurt. Powerful words. It goes on. A lot of evil is done in the world by people who can't imagine that they have any power to hurt anyone. It's their sense that nothing is at stake in their behavior towards others that leads them to ignore the rules of politeness and humanity and to kick people as if they were plated in armor. I think Paul was really worried about this. Sometimes we think some of the people we treat the worst are plated in armor. Who, who could they be? Our politicians, easy to mock, because surely they live behind castles with moats, protected by many things. Pastor Rob, he's the pastor. Our wives, our husbands, we know them well enough, they understand. Now the fruit of the Spirit helps us transcend those things and to understand the power we have to affect this world. So a couple of ideas about love. We have to be curious. You know, instead of just leaping to that indignation or that anger that we feel when somebody does something that irritates us, instead, why? Why are they doing that? What is it that's caused them to feel or to think like that? That's that long-tempered part. Curiosity. What brought them to that place. You see, the loving know how much everyone suffers from feelings of self-doubt, worthlessness, loneliness, and pain beneath what is often this veneer of imperviousness or strength. Those who love may not have the precise details to hand, but they grasp enough about the general picture. How much people are haunted by self-recrimination, how weighed down they are. As a community, we've got this wonderful opportunity to stand as a beacon of people who love. I think the other thing that goes with that is realizing that we're all children. Some of you recognize who that is. It's the same man that I put up for. That's a four-year-old Donald Trump. And I don't want to be hard on Donald Trump. But he became the adult, but inside him, there's still that child. And inside each one of you is a child. Yeah? What we often see in the way adults behave is the accumulation of many ongoing injuries taken through childhood. And for some of us, it's our childhood that makes it really hard to love. 
in many different ways. There may have been a real chaotic place where there wasn't love. Or perhaps if there was, it was grudging. Perhaps it was belittling. On the other angle, perhaps we haven't grown beyond receiving love as a child. We were good at receiving love and we got plenty of it, but we never realised how difficult it was, how hard it was to give love. The tears our parents shed when they weren't in front of us. Or sometimes growing through from child to adult has meant kind of a death of love through a thousand cuts. Small shunnings, little comments that bite, slights, perceived and real, until we've retreated into our shells, hardened and aloof. You know, when the Spirit of God comes, He comes into our lives and He brings His fruit. And part of being saved is giving Him that room for that fruit to emerge, crucifying ourselves, crucifying that history. And that's a journey. But it's a journey that matters. I've got one more clip I want to show you. The emphasis today is that the core of who we are is love through Jesus Christ. She started having me sing like Celine Dion songs, Whitney Houston songs. The bigger your voice is, the higher you can go. That's like the singing culture in the Philippines. People have told me that my voice is unique. And when I first came to America, I didn't speak English very well. And so uh, one of the ways that helped me learn English was through music. Hi, so, Whitney was my English teacher and Mariah Carey was my vocal coach. I want to be in this choir pretty bad. I think there's a lot that I can learn and contribute to something a bit more bigger than myself. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good, how are you? Good. Tell us about yourself. Um, my name is Dan Lee. I'm from Norfolk, okay. and I, I work up in Washington, D.C. I'm in the Navy band. Awesome, awesome. Yes, Jesus loves me. Give me a second. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus who loves me for the Bible tells me so Jesus loves me wow. yes he does for the Bible it tells me so Sorry. No, that's, 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 that's good. What moved you to tears? Those three words. Jesus Loves Me is such a simple song, but yet the words are, are so impactful. Like, Jesus loves me. Even now, talking about it. That's it.
everybody deserves to be loved. That is the message that we want to share with the world. When I first saw that, I had one of those spirit moments. I was sitting on my couch, and when she sang, I heard those words in a song. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. When we saw downtrodden, the victim of injustice, love. When we're alone, when we're vulnerable in crisis, love. When we're tired, hurt, afraid, love. When we're walking in the shadow, on the floor. When we're beaten, when we're in need, love. When there's fear, loneliness, distress, love. Jesus loves us with a love that is patient, kind, that doesn't envy, that doesn't boast, that's not proud, that does not dishonor others, that's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no ring of wrong. The fruit of the Spirit, not just for children, not just a word find, something that points to the core of who God is and who He wants us to be. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such there is no law. In church, we need to keep learning to love. In the words of Jesus, a new commandment, a new commandment, I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? By this, everyone. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're going to ask the music team to come up and we're going to sing a song about deciding to follow Jesus, deciding to focus on that love. And I really encourage you this week, you know, every day when you get up, think about the fruits of the Spirit, but think about the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Jesus, about spending time in Him and about bearing His fruit. Thank mm-hmm. you.